On July 18, 2018, the San Antonio Spurs traded Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green to the Toronto Raptors in exchange for DeMar DeRozan, Jakob Pertl, and a 2019 first-round pick. DeMar DeRozan learned of the trade at 1 in the morning, sitting in the parking lot of a jack-in-the-box in his hometown of Los Angeles. DeRozan sat in that parking lot for two hours. DeRozan posted on Instagram, Be told one thing and the outcome another. Can't trust them. Ain't no loyalty in this game. Sell you out quick for a little bit of nothing. Soon you'll understand. Don't disturb. DeRozan had played his entire NBA career with the Toronto Raptors. Two years earlier, he signed a five-year contract with Toronto. Now DeRozan was about to spend the next three years of his career playing in East Texas. And he was going to watch the guy who he had been traded for, Kawhi Leonard, win the 2019 championship with all of his friends and teammates. We didn't exactly know it at the time, but this date would mark the end of the San Antonio Spurs dynasty. Quite possibly the greatest run of success in all of North American professional sports. San Antonio would watch Leonard win the championship for Toronto 11 months after the trade, then go through a chaotic free agency in 2019 before he leaves Toronto to join the Los Angeles Clippers. In the four years since that trade, the San Antonio Spurs have not won a single playoff series. Their streak of 22 consecutive playoff appearances broken in 2020, followed by two more seasons without making it to the playoffs. For years, I had always felt the San Antonio Spurs were the ones who failed Kawhi Leonard. That the 2018 season was a failure of leadership by Popovich and the old guard of the San Antonio Spurs. And that San Antonio cost themselves a sixth championship in 2019 by being overly focused on Kawhi's availability in 2018. We'll never know for sure if the Spurs would have won the championship in 2019 had Kawhi Leonard stayed. What I do know is that the Spurs supporting cast with LaMarcus Aldridge, Rudy Gay, Patty Mills, Danny Green, and Bryn Forbes was as good as the 2019 Raptors, which was Pascal Siakam, Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet, and Norman Powell, and that team with Kawhi Leonard did win the championship. I wanted to put together a timeline of events in 2018. I wanted to understand what was happening for Popovich and Kawhi and the Spurs and all of the old members and the new members and the front office and battles for power and control and conversations and all kinds of crazy stuff that went on for about six months that ultimately led to the deterioration of the Spurs' relationship with their superstar player. And what I learned in doing research was that this story wasn't exactly what I originally thought. What I learned in doing research and telling this story is that the fall of the Spurs dynasty is really a story about the human experience. Kawhi Leonard and Greg Popovich may be titans of professional basketball, yet at the same time they were struggling with real human conflicts and just trying to process the world at large, even after all the successes that they'd had in the past. 
I'm really interested to dissect into those characters and follow the timeline of the 2018 season that ultimately led to the breakup of one of the NBA's five best players of the last 10 years and an organization that is regarded as the pinnacle for success across all of sports, not just basketball. In an NBA culture where we love the transaction as much as the game, it's amazing to me that no one has told the story of Kawhi Leonard leaving the premier organization, immediately winning a championship, and putting an end to 30 years of success. This is the fall of the Spurs dynasty. Episode 1, The Greatest Dynasty in North American Pro Sports. To understand this story, we first need to take deep dives into the three parties involved in this story. Kawhi Leonard, the San Antonio Spurs, and the leader of the San Antonio Spurs, Greg Popovich. Let's start off with the San Antonio Spurs, and to do that, we need to go all the way back to 1974. And the first star of the San Antonio Spurs, George Gervin. George Gervin was the first star of the San Antonio Spurs. He helped the franchise transition from the ABA into the NBA during the 1976 merger. Gervin, nicknamed the Iceman, would go on to be a nine-time NBA All-Star, finish on the All-NBA first team five times. George Gervin won the scoring championship every year from 1978 to 1980, and won it again a fourth time in 1982. During his time with the Spurs, they made it to three conference championship games, including in 1978 when they came within one game of the NBA Finals, losing to the eventual champion, Washington Bullets. In 1982 and 1983, the Spurs won the Midwest Division title, both times losing in the conference finals to Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and the Showtime Lakers. After 1983, Stan Albeck, the head coach for the last four years in San Antonio, left to go coach the New Jersey Nets. Two years later, Gervin was traded to the Chicago Bulls. The San Antonio Spurs fell on hard times for the next four years, missing the playoffs in 1984, losing in the first round of the playoffs in 1985 before Gervin would go to Chicago, losing in the first round by sweep in 1986, and missing the playoffs in 1987 with a franchise worst record of 28 and 54. In the four years after Stan Albeck left, the San Antonio Spurs went through four different coaches in what can still be regarded today as the worst four-year stretch in the franchise's history. Which brings us to the biggest turning point in the history of the San Antonio Spurs franchise the 1987 NBA Draft Lottery. Here's how the NBA worked in 1987. There were 23 teams in the league. 16 of them would make the playoffs. Of the seven teams that didn't make the playoffs, all of them would be put in a lottery and have an equal chance of landing the number one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven picks in the draft. This was created as a means to deter tanking after Akeem Olajuwon was drafted in 1984 by the Houston Rockets, who three years earlier had made it to the NBA Finals. 
the San Antonio Spurs, Phoenix Suns, New Jersey Nets, Los Angeles Clippers, New York Knicks, Sacramento Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers were all in the draft lottery pool. Everyone had a 14.3% chance of getting the number one pick. After teams were announced in backwards order from 7 to 3, it was down to just San Antonio and Phoenix. The second pick in the 1987 NBA draft goes to the Phoenix Suns. The San Antonio Spurs will pick first in the 1987 NBA draft. The Spurs won the 1987 draft lottery, and this was the perfect year to win the NBA draft lottery. The best prospect in the 1987 draft by far was a 7-foot-1 center from Navy named David Robinson. Robinson was the type of player that immediately changes the fortunes of your franchise. A guy who, at the time, could immediately enter the NBA and be one of the five best players in the sport. The problem for prospective NBA teams was that Robinson had two years of service to the Naval Academy before he could play for the team that drafted him. Here's how Spurs general manager Bob Bass explained the decision to draft David Robinson to CBS's James Brown. Bob, congratulations, first of all. Clearly, David Robinson is a top pick in the draft this year, but he comes with some complications, that two-year military hitch. Will you still go after him? We waited 14 years. Watch two more. You know, watch two more. David Robinson was such a can't-miss prospect that the San Antonio Spurs were willing to draft him and wait until he could play in 1989. Many teams would have been tempted for an immediate impact player, especially in an industry where your job wasn't guaranteed two years from now. The Spurs were willing to wait it out for David Robinson, and their decision proved to be worth the wait. During David Robinson's two years of military service, the Spurs would lose in the first round of the 1988 playoffs and miss the playoffs in 1989. That missed playoffs in 89 led to them getting the third pick in the draft and leading to them selecting Sean Elliott, from the University of Arizona. They also traded for all-star forward Terry Cummings from the Milwaukee Bucks and acquired former all-star Mo Cheeks from the Philadelphia 76ers. The San Antonio Spurs were essentially adding three all-stars, the number three pick in the draft, and David Robinson. In the 1989-1990 season, the San Antonio Spurs improved 35 wins from that 21 mark the year before to 56 wins. The Spurs were the number two seed in the Western Conference, and the number one seeded Los Angeles Lakers, led by James Worthy, lost in the second round of the playoffs to an upstart Phoenix Suns team. The Spurs were matched up in the second round against the Portland Trailblazers. Whoever won that second round series would be heavy favorites against the Phoenix Suns, to advance to the NBA Finals. In Game 5 in Portland, with the series tied 2-2, the San Antonio Spurs overcame a 17-point second-half deficit, led by Terry Cummings, 32 points, 15 rebounds from David Robinson, and a 15.7 assist game from Rod Strickland, who the Spurs traded for at the deadline in exchange for Mo Cheeks. The Spurs forced overtime in that game five, and then the game went to double overtime, 
before a heroic 38-point performance from Terry Porter and a 9-assist game from Clyde Drexler put the Portland Trailblazers up three games to two. The Spurs, who were regarded as the favorites, won game six thanks to 30 points from Willie Anderson and a 20-13 and game from David Robinson. With two and a half minutes left to go in game seven, the San Antonio Spurs were up seven points. Their best chance of making it to the NBA Finals firmly within their grasp. After the Blazers' Kevin Duckworth hit a two-point shot to cut the lead to five and a San Antonio Spurs turnover, Portland had the ball with two minutes to go. Wingate won't let Porter get the shot off. Drexler fires a three and hits it. And it's a two-point game. Anderson finds Strickland in the lane. Hipped up, missed by Robinson. And rolls out to Duckworth, and the Trailblazers can tie it up. The Portland Trailblazers would score seven unanswered points to force overtime in Game 7. The Blazers would win by three points, eliminating the San Antonio Spurs and ruining the best chance the Spurs had had in franchise history to win an NBA championship. That 1990 season, which was David Robinson's first in the NBA, would be the beginning of of quite possibly the greatest 30-year run in the history of any North American professional sports team. Over the next 30 years, the San Antonio Spurs would make the playoffs 29 times. The Spurs would win their division title, either the West Division or the Southwest Division, 17 times in 30 years, a 57% success rate. They would be either the number one or number two seed in the Western Conference 16 times in 30 years, a 53% success rate. They would win six Western Conference championships, five NBA titles, and have nearly a dozen Hall of Famers, two different MVPs, and the greatest coach in the history of professional basketball pass through their organization. The Spurs would build a successful organization not just modeled by other sports teams, but modeled by major businesses in America. This franchise, the San Antonio Spurs, were on their way to absolute historic greatness. Hey everybody, this is Kyle. I wanted to just take a quick minute to thank a couple people here on the show. First and foremost, Pounding the Rock, which is the SB Nation San Antonio Spurs site. Uh, Their collaboration and cooperation made all of this possible. I really, really, really appreciate them and, and taking the time to help me set this thing up and make it for you guys on the page and also the people who follow our podcast. It's it's really, really appreciated. So thank you to Pounding the Rock. Um, if you want to find their website, most of you probably found it this way, but if you want to find their website, check it out with the link in the description to this episode. Also want to give a shout out to Bet Online Sportsbook. They've been sponsoring our Take It Easy podcast for close to nine months now. If you're listening to this on the Take It Easy podcast feed, you heard them uh, advertise the show at the start. 
and I really, really appreciate their support and the people over at Believe who picked up our podcast about nine months ago now. It's it's really appreciate, appreciated and helps to support my dreams. So thank you to everyone who helped make this podcast possible. It, it really means a lot to me because I really, really am enjoying telling this story. So thank you again to everyone who continues to help support our dreams. And thank you to all of y'all who have stopped in here and taken the time to listen to this podcast as well. Now let's get back to episode one of The Fall of the Spurs Dynasty. So, most of you probably know the story of how the San Antonio Spurs Dynasty came to be. About how in 1997, David Robinson broke his foot, Bob Hill was fired as coach, and general manager Greg Popovich appointed himself as the head coach. The Spurs missed the playoffs in 1997, they got lucky and won the NBA draft lottery, and with the first pick in the 1997 draft, they selected Tim Duncan, the greatest power forward in the history of the NBA, and paired alongside David Robinson, who two years earlier won the NBA MVP. And all of us, well, at least most of us, lived through the story of Tim Duncan, how he made 15 All-NBA teams, 15 All-Star teams, won two MVPs in 2002 and 2003, won three Finals MVPs, was an eight-time All-Defensive first-teamer, seven-time All-Defensive second-teamer. Tim Duncan, for 15 years, was one of the 10 best players in the NBA, and for about a five-year stretch, the best player in all of the NBA. And we lived through the 2000s, at least most of us lived through the 2000s, where Tim Duncan and the Spurs against Shaq and Kobe and the Lakers came to define an entire era of basketball. Between 1998 and 2010, nine of the 12 NBA champions were either the San Antonio Spurs or the Los Angeles Lakers. Greg Popovich has admitted over and over again that were it not for Tim Duncan, he would be coaching somewhere in Europe or trying to continue his basketball career at 50 years old. Popovich knows where his bread was buttered, but it doesn't give enough credit to what the Spurs built around Tim Duncan. In 1998, Tim Duncan's rookie season, the San Antonio Spurs were building up a roster of players who could surround their former MVP and their future MVP both playing in the front court. Greg Popovich's first move as general manager in 1995 was to acquire Avery Johnson to play point guard. After the teardown of the Chicago Bulls following the 1998 championship, the Spurs picked off sharpshooting guard Steve Kerr, famous for hitting the game-winning shot in the 1997 finals, and later famous for being the head coach of the four-time NBA champion Golden State Warriors. They traded Will Perdue for Dennis Rodman, and then after the Dennis Rodman experiment failed, they re-signed Perdue to play on the 1999 team. In 1999, the San Antonio Spurs had a guy who won the MVP three years ago in David Robinson, and a guy who was going to win the MVP three years from now in Tim Duncan. By winning the NBA Draft Lottery in 1987 and 1997, the Spurs guaranteed themselves to be competitive every single year. In 1999, with Kerr and Avery Johnson and Will Perdue, Duncan, Robinson, Popovich, and the Spurs won their first NBA championship. The Spurs lost two games during their entire playoff run. 
once to the Timberwolves in the first round, and once to the Knicks in the NBA Finals. 15-2 was tied for the greatest postseason record in the history of the NBA. The Spurs looked like they were destined to win championships for five years straight. That was until the Lakers finally found their form, with Shaquille O'Neal, who would win the 2000 NBA MVP, and Kobe Bryant, who for a time was one of the five best players in the NBA. In 2000, the Lakers won the NBA Finals. In 2001, they swept the San Antonio Spurs out of the playoffs. In 2002, they knocked the Spurs out of the playoffs in five games. In 2003, David Robinson's final season in the NBA, the San Antonio Spurs beat the Lakers in six games during the second round of the playoffs. A Lakers team that was exhausted after three consecutive years of playing over 100 basketball games a season. San Antonio would go on to win the NBA Finals against the New Jersey Nets and claim their second title in Robinson's final season. By the time Robinson retired in 2003, the San Antonio Spurs needed to find a new identity. For five years, their team had been built on having two of the 50 greatest players in the history of the NBA. They still had the greatest power forward in the history of the NBA, and he was playing in his physical prime, coming off of two straight MVPs in 2002 and 2003. The San Antonio Spurs needed to find talented players without having high draft picks, and they needed to find players whose game complemented Tim Duncan. This is where the genius of Greg Popovich and general manager R.C. Buford started to take effect. The best organizations, whether it be in sports or business or any other arena, are able to find value where other people aren't finding it. Yes, the San Antonio Spurs got lucky with winning the draft lottery in 1987 and 1997. Where the Spurs pivoted was around 1999 where they began using their low first round and low second round draft picks in order to develop future Hall of Fame talents. The Spurs took advantage of one of the greatest market inefficiencies of the last 30 years in professional basketball. The Spurs began looking outside the United States at a talented pool of basketball players from around the globe. In the early 1990s, over 90% of NBA players were born in the United States. There were no real NBA superstars who came from Western Europe or Asia or South America. Additionally, in the 1980s and 1990s, college basketball ratings were doing better numbers than even NBA basketball ratings. In reality, this difference in college basketball to NBA ratings was due to the fact that college basketball began televising live games back in 1968. The NBA didn't have live NBA Finals games until 1982. However, the groupthink consensus within the NBA was that the college basketball system was the superior form of basketball development. And all the best players that were available were coming from this one singular talent pool. In the 1990s, you began to have the first generation of global NBA superstars. You had the San Antonio Spurs, Dallas Mavericks, and Miami Heat, who were organizations capitalizing on this market inefficiency. In 1996, the Dallas Mavericks drafted Canadian point guard Steve Nash. 
Nash had played his college time at a small school called Santa Clara University in Northern California. In 1998, the Dallas Mavericks drafted Dirk Nowitzki with the eighth pick in the draft. Nowitzki had played his entire career in Germany. He never played a single second of basketball televised in the United States. Nash would go on to win the 2005 and 2006 NBA MVP, and the next year, Dirk Nowitzki would win the 2007 MVP and go on to lead the Mavericks to the 2011 NBA championship. Additionally, the NBA draft system was set up in such a way that international players could be drafted and their rights would be protected by the team who drafted them until they could leave their contracts with their professional European teams. This was the market inefficiency that the San Antonio Spurs capitalized on to build their core around Tim Duncan. With the second-to-last pick in the 1999 NBA draft, the San Antonio Spurs selected Manu Ginobili. Ginobili was a shooting guard of Italian and Argentine descent. At the time of Ginobili's selection, he had no intentions of going over to the United States. In 1999, instead of joining the San Antonio Spurs, Ginobili decided to go sign with an Italian professional basketball team called Kinder Bologna. In 2001, Ginobili led his team to the Italian League Championship. They then qualified for the 2002 EuroLeague Championship. Ginobili's team won the EuroLeague Championship, and Manu was named Finals MVP. After his contract ended in Italy, Ginobili decided to join the San Antonio Spurs. Ginobili began as the 10th man on the Spurs bench, and during their 2003 championship season, he was hurt for most of the year. By 2004, Ginobili replaced Steve Smith as the starting shooting guard for the Spurs. By 2005, he was an NBA All-Star. Ginobili averaged 18 points a game, 7 assists, and the San Antonio Spurs won the 2005 NBA championship. In 2001, the San Antonio Spurs spent their first round pick on a point guard named Tony Parker. Parker had been recruited to play at American colleges. Parker decided to remain in France and played professionally there for two seasons before he became eligible to enter the NBA draft. Parker became the Spurs starting point guard during the 2003 finals run, the one that still had David Robinson. Parker averaged around 10 points per game during that season, but he started nearly every single game. By 2004, he was averaging 15 points per game. Parker continued to play point guard for the Spurs into 2005, when they won their second championship. By 2006, Parker took the next step, averaging 19 points per game and shooting nearly 55% from the field. He made his first All-Star team, then made the All-Star team again in 2007. He averaged nearly 20 points per game during the 2007 playoffs, and after a sweep of the Cleveland Cavaliers, claiming the fourth championship for the Spurs dynasty, Parker was named Finals MVP. During that same 2001 season in which they drafted Parker, the San Antonio Spurs signed a little-known small forward named Bruce Bowen. Bowen was nearly 30 years old, and he'd only started in about seven NBA games prior to the 2000 season. Bowen played college basketball at Cal State Fullerton, and after he finished in 1993, he didn't have any prospects of an NBA future. Bowen went to play basketball in France and the Continental Basketball League, which was the NBA's previous attempt at creating a minor league system. In 1997, after playing four years in France, 
Bowen got a 10-day contract with the Miami Heat. He then signed for two seasons with the Boston Celtics, averaging 17 minutes on a team that had the worst record in the NBA and the fourth worst record in the NBA. Bowen signed with the Philadelphia 76ers as a bench player before the Miami Heat picked him up in 1999. Bowen started nearly every game on the 2001 Miami Heat, a testament to their player development skills. Bowen signed his first big contract with the San Antonio Spurs, a mere $1.5 million in 2001. After missing 23 games to start the 2001 season, Bruce Bowen would play in every single Spurs basketball game for the next eight seasons. From 2001 to 2008, Bowen made eight consecutive NBA All-Defensive teams, five times being named to the first team. Bowen was part of all three champion Spurs teams in 2003, 2005, and 2007. Following his retirement in 2009, Bowen would go on to be a broadcaster for ESPN, the Spurs, and the Los Angeles Clippers. Parker, Ginobili, and Bowen came to represent what Spurs culture was all about. That anyone could go from being the 12th man on the bench to a future Hall of Famer if put in the right situation. That good coaching, team-first attitude, and strong organizational culture could help players flourish in situations that they otherwise would have failed. The Spurs' three championships in five years was seen as the greatest run of basketball since either the 2000s Lakers or the 1990s Chicago Bulls of Michael Jordan. Tim Duncan was already regarded as the greatest power forward in the history of the NBA, and he still had nearly 10 more seasons of productive basketball left. Popovich, alongside general manager R.C. Buford, continued their strategy of player development into the late 2000s. In 2006, the San Antonio Spurs picked up a forward named Matt Bonner, who had been cut by the Toronto Raptors after just two seasons. Bonner would go on to spend 10 seasons in San Antonio as a shooting specialist. He averaged between 6 and 10 points a game for his entire career, and nearly all of those points came on three-pointers. Bonner even started an entire playoff series in 2009 due to the injury of Bruce Bowen. In 2008, the Spurs spent their first-round pick on a point guard named George Hill. In 2009, they spent a second-round pick on a sharpshooter from North Carolina named Danny Green. And in 2010, they spent a second-round pick on a forward named Dewan Blair, who would go on to start nearly every game during the 2011 season in San Antonio. During that 2010 offseason, the Spurs signed a center named Tiago Splitter, who would go on to start 70% of their games during their 2013 and 2014 conference championship seasons. The Spurs were finding new players they were able to develop. The problem was, San Antonio was struggling to find them minutes on the floor. When Parker, Ginobili, and Bowen were coming up in 2003, the Spurs had definitive needs at each of those positions. Tony Parker was needed to start at point guard. Steve Smith's departure opened up room for Ginobili at shooting guard. Bowen was the Spurs' starting small forward for eight seasons. As great as your developmental system is for young players, if those players can't find the floor, they can't impact the game. The 2008 San Antonio Spurs won 56 games. They made it again to the conference finals against the Los Angeles Lakers. In that series, they faced the 2008 MVP, Kobe Bryant, who had a new teammate in center, Pau Gasol. 
the Lakers would win that series and advance to the 2008 NBA Finals. The following year, the San Antonio Spurs would win 54 games, and they would lose in the first round to Dirk Nowitzki's Dallas Mavericks. In 2010, the San Antonio Spurs had their worst season since the year they drafted Duncan in 1997. Don't get me wrong, the San Antonio Spurs still won 50 games for the 13th consecutive season. The Spurs just happened to face a loaded Western Conference, and they ended up as the 7th seed in the playoffs. They would upset the Dallas Mavericks in the first round before getting swept out in the second round by Steve Nash's Phoenix Suns. In 2011, now four years removed from their last NBA championship, the San Antonio Spurs found new life. Manu Ginobili made his first all-star team in six years, George Hill emerged as a legitimate sixth man of the year candidate, and the Spurs won 61 games on the back of Tim Duncan's top five MVP season. The Spurs were the number one seed in the West, and in the first round they matched up against the Memphis Grizzlies. The Spurs would lose in six games. It was the third time in the history of the NBA that a number one seed lost to a number eight seed. There were no injuries, although Ginobili missed one game at the start of the series. The Spurs simply got beat. Beat by a younger team with Marc Gasol in his physical prime, Mike Conley in his fourth season, Tony Allen still in his mid-twenties. The Spurs spent 12 years building a roster around prime Tim Duncan, players who complemented the greatest power forward in the history of the NBA. And with that team, they were able to win 50 games every single year and make it to a conference final every other year. San Antonio was now staring down the barrel of the core of the team they built, aging out of the sport. Tim Duncan was 35 years old. Manu Ginobili was entering his age 34 season. Tony Parker was about to turn 31. Bowen had been retired for two seasons. The Spurs were good, but the Spurs were old. The Spurs got the perfect transition from David Robinson, drafted in 1987, to Tim Duncan, drafted in 1997. San Antonio spent the next 15 years building the perfect team around Tim Duncan. Now, in order to remain competitive, San Antonio had to find the next Tim Duncan. Surely San Antonio was never going to find the greatest power forward in the history of the NBA, especially given the fact they were never going to be bad enough to get a top five pick in the NBA draft. What Popovich and R.C. Buford were looking for was the right player. A player who could take the mantle from Tim Duncan and be one of the top five players in the NBA. The easiest way to find one of those players is free agency, but everyone's trying to acquire LeBron James or Dwayne Wade or Carmelo Anthony in free agency. The Spurs needed to find the perfect player, and in 2011, they felt like they had their man. SportsCenter's coverage of the NBA draft from the Brick City. Newark, New Jersey, the big board full. Those are the first 30 picks. 14 international players selected in the draft. During the 2011 NBA draft, the San Antonio Spurs only held the 29th pick in the draft. The Spurs weren't going to be able to get up into the top 10, so they weren't going to be able to take advantage of top prospects such as Kyrie Irving, Derek Williams, Tristan Thompson, Brandon Knight, Kemba Walker, Jimmer Fredette, 
or Clay Thompson. But the board began to slide their way. With the 12th pick, the Utah Jazz selected Alec Burks. And with picks 13 and 14, a first time in the history of the NBA, the Suns and Rockets took two brothers from the University of Kansas, Markeith and Marcus Morris. After that, San Antonio got on the phone. The Indiana Pacers held the 15th pick in the NBA draft, and Indiana was fully prepared to make the draft pick. What San Antonio did was nearly unprecedented. Normally, when a trade gets made with involving draft picks, the deal has been agreed upon beforehand with the stipulation that a certain player makes it to that pick. With the 10 minutes on the clock that the Pacers had to make a pick, the San Antonio Spurs negotiated a trade on the spot. They agreed to trade George Hill, their emerging sixth man of the year, to Indiana in exchange for picks 15 and picks 42 of the NBA draft. Even in such a situation, most teams balk at negotiating a trade so quickly. The Spurs offered Indiana a deal they simply couldn't refuse. And it actually took a couple of picks later for the deal to actually get finalized. The Pacers essentially gave up their entire 2011 draft in exchange for a starting point guard. Years later, Greg Popovich was discussing to reporters the environment in the draft room that night. Quote, We were scared to death. RC and I, referencing general manager RC Buford, sat there and kept staring at each other. It was really difficult, personally and professionally made the playoffs for the first time this past season since 2006. The pick is in. Who will the Pacers take? Here's the commissioner. With the 15th pick in the 2011 NBA draft, the Indiana Pacers select Kawhi Leonard from San Diego State University. Thank you everyone for stopping in to episode one of our show. On the next episode, we're going to discuss the architect of the Spurs dynasty, the greatest head coach in the history of professional basketball, Greg Popovich. Until next time, my name is Kyle Ledbetter. Make sure to follow us on whatever podcasting platform you find yourself on so you can be the first to get new episodes every Wednesday. Leave a five-star review, download all the episodes, download them again. It is all much appreciated. Thank you to Pounding the Rock, the SB Nation San Antonio Spurs site, for their support of this show. Make sure to follow all of the great content that's coming out there as well. Thank you again, and take it easy.